The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out cybionicscgm.com. Welcome back to part two of this episode. I really hope you enjoyed part one. Now let's get back into it. Okay, so we are back. Madeline, I thought, had completely ghosted me halfway through this podcast, but basically she was recording from her end over her phone and her phone battery went, so just completely cut off and I was left there thinking, what the hell is going on here? But she lost her battery and she had to take a brief interval to train and work with clients. So (laughs) Madeline, good to have you back. Yes. Thank you so much for understanding. I was like, this would happen to me out of all people. So how did it go with the clients? Quite quite fitting that we were just talking about your relationship and your experience with clients that you took a quick break to work with clients. So how was it? Yes. Yeah. So it went great. I, like I mentioned before, I specialize in diabetes, but oftentimes I do see clients that don't always have diabetes just because of my um, trade when it comes to being a registered dietitian, I get to work with clients of all different aspects, whether it's for elevated cholesterol or let's say if they have high blood pressure and they're looking to get off medication or decrease medication, or let's say if they have prediabetes and they want guidance in regards to lifestyle changes. So I get to see a little bit of everything when I'm working with clients and patients. And it's it's really nice to just see how, you know, nutrition affects our overall health, right? In many aspects, not just from, you know, a diabetes standpoint. Yeah, it actually reminds me of I think one of your recent posts, or I think maybe one of your pinned posts that you had on your Instagram page about essentially knowing your ABCs and the ABCs standing for your A1C, your blood pressure and your cholesterol, because obviously the three of those are vitally important for people with and without diabetes. But with all three of those, Madeline, what would you recommend somebody focuses on purely in terms of, let's say, lifestyle change or being more active or like introducing some sort of habit or routine into their lifestyle for each of those, let's call them titles or headings. What would you recommend for first somebody who wants to reduce their A1C? So I would say that a lot of the times my recommendations 
will apply to all aspects in terms of cholesterol, for example, you know, fiber is so important, you know, like that's a, a, a nutrient that I talk about across the board with all patients, regardless if they're seeing me for, for, for diabetes or not, right? Fiber, there's a lot of benefits to eating a high fiber diet. And we see those benefits, not just in blood sugars, but we also see the benefits of eating a high fiber with, um, your overall cholesterol as well. And let's say if you're approaching me because you want to just improve your overall eating habits and prevent, you know, future diseases like high blood pressure, high cholesterol or diabetes, then that's just like a general recommendation that I'm talking about because fiber is overall great for anyone, not just someone with diabetes. Absolutely. And I think that's something that a lot of us, primarily diabetic listeners to this podcast, need to realize is the the vast benefit of fiber in your diet. It's almost like, a, I don't like saying superfood, but it has like a superpower in relation to how it has a beneficial impact on even the rate or the the release of glucose into your system. And I think increasing your fiber for everybody is definitely a good idea, but primarily people living with diabetes, it has a significant impact on how your blood sugar will react or respond to different types of foods and different types of meals. So what sort of food do you generally see people trying to introduce to increase their, their fiber so we can kind of make sense of it? So, you know, and that's a great question and it kind of, you know, piggybacks based off the second half of the question that you asked me is, you know, when I'm meeting with someone, I'm I'm pretty much assessing their intake and that's where their food dislikes come into play, food preferences, like what their cultural background is. And then, you know, what does the day to day look like? And then once I'm able to make that assessment, I'm able to see like what are those key nutrients that might be missing in the diet that might be leading to habits such as like increased sugar cravings or increased hunger or overeating at meals, right? There's so many things that we realize that we miss in our diet that can really help offset these symptoms that we start to feel. So, you know, fiber is a huge component of that. And a lot of people don't realize that Fiber is found in a lot of the foods that we eat on a day-to-day, specifically those carbohydrates, right? <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I don't want to eat them. Yeah. And you can't just take a fiber supplement and expect to get the daily recommendations of fiber that you need, which is anywhere from 24 grams a day to 38 grams a day for men, you know, if we're comparing like women in comparison to to men. So, you know, you definitely want to make sure that you're getting a variety of foods, which includes those fruits, those vegetables, you know, starchy and non-starchy vegetables, your, you know, beans, legumes, nuts, seeds, and your, you know, whole grains, like a whole wheat pasta, or, uh, you know, whole grain bread or, you know, your whole wheat rice. A few examples of where you would get those food sources from. And I want to even just quickly rewind to something you said there about how, you know, your choice of food throughout the day and throughout the week can and will have an impact on 
the cravings that you have, the sugary cravings that you have. And the reality of it is like the more sugary cravings that we have, I know we've spoken about it already in the podcast around, we don't want to just completely avoid the foods that we like, but if we have more cravings, naturally we're going to be a lot more inclined to give into those cravings, which in turn will obviously over time have a negative impact on blood sugar. So, so essentially what you're saying is increasing fiber and actually looking at the quality of food that we're eating can and will have an impact on essentially the sugary cravings that we're having. Exactly. Because what is happening is that oftentimes when there is meal inconsistency, which I see a lot of the time, like I would say 50 to 75% of the clients and patients that I'm working with have that meal inconsistency, which now is resulting to these sugar cravings that people think it's a sugar addiction, but no, it's not. It's just your body responding to the blood sugar roller coaster that you're putting it through because you're not consistent with meals. And, you know, you might not be eating the foods that are going to help promote that fullness and that satiety throughout the course of the day. And then, you know, because you're skipping meals, now you're eating larger meals. And then now these larger meals are causing what we refer to as that blood sugar roller coaster and then you're you're in this cycle like high very high blood sugars and then you're that low blood sugar which people might be correlating as like the itis that's kind of what i hear all the time like i can't move like i just had a food coma and it's like no this is just a normal response that your body is trying to communicate that has a lot to do with blood sugar response hmm. and i think again even from my experience living with type 1 diabetes and then my experience working with others who live with type 1 diabetes, oftentimes when we kind of, to continue what you were saying, step onto that diabetic roller coaster where we're up and down and up and down. And anybody listening to this or any parent or, or spouse or sibling of somebody living with type 1 diabetes has seen that before because everybody has experienced it. And for me, it's like, it's not even just the physical ups and downs with it where like you you feel you feel horrendous going that high you know you then you feel awful going that low and it's it's exhausting but i also find that within those moments where you're up and down and up and down and up and down and you have those days or even have those weeks where your bloods are like that that's where the mental side of your diabetes has more of an impact because it's like, well, I'm taking my insulin, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get off this roller coaster. But when you're up and down and up and down, it's mentally and physically exhausting and emotionally exhausting. And that's where I feel it's almost like that sense of burnout can stem from because it's like, well, I'm, I'm living with this thing every day. You know, I'm putting this time, energy and effort into trying to stay stable, but still I'm going up and down, up and down, up and down. And it's, it can be exhausting. And is, is that something that you would have experienced or you do experience with current clients? Yeah, all the time. Definitely all the time, especially if they're someone who is willing to make these changes. And, you know, and I think that that's something that we see a lot and then that leads to like that desperation where people are willing to just do anything or anything that it takes to get those blood sugars like in normal range, right? 
So oftentimes, you know, people come to me and they're like, I've tried everything. I don't know what to do. I've been coming to see doctors. I'm taking my medication. You know, I've tried, you know, going on a pump and now I'm back to injections and I still don't seem to, you know, have a well understanding of how to manage my diabetes. So, you know, it is very emotional and stressful and that stress just continuously adds to it. And, and I think that also stems from gaining an understanding that, you know, like we said in the beginning, there are many factors that influence that, that can basically be adding more fuel to the fire. And then you're just like in this vicious cycle that's non, you know, it's not ending. I think that that's where the overwhelm can come from because it's like even in those moments, it's like, well, it can end for a very short period of time, but then it's like, boom, I'm straight back into needing to do what I need to do. And you've touched on consistency quite a bit now throughout this episode so far, which I completely agree with. And and the way I always look at it is <clears throat> we need to try and find a way where we can be as consistent as our diabetes is without being obsessive around it. Because the reality of it is our diabetes is the most consistent thing that we're trying to manage in our lifetime. So if we can kind of come up with a routine or a strategy, regardless of how we feel to a certain extent, um, so it is consistent and it is habitual, then we can almost create routines to be as consistent as our diabetes is. I don't know if I articulated that well, but, but, no, I, but I, I hope that makes sense. I, I totally agree with you. And I think that if people approach it from a way that it's not always going to be perfect and mm. having those ups and downs are normal, right? And I yeah. think that that's the great space that social media is creating for the type, you know, type one community or even just the diabetes community in general mm. is people are realizing like, I go through that too. This is happening to me. So it's creating more normalcy, which is great. But then it's also understanding that small changes still make a difference. You don't have to go from one extreme to another. And I emphasize that all the time to my clients and patients. <laughs> like, hey, like one thing can really make a difference. And once people really start to see that, then they sense more control over their diabetes. And it's also, what are the, you know, what tools am I going to use when I'm going through those down moments, right? Because I think that that also really helps make a difference. Because if you don't have the tools to be able to navigate that low, then, you know, you will, you're never going to come up from that. And then that cycle is going to continue again and again. So I also talk about those things with my patients and clients. Like, do you have someone supporting you in that aspect emotionally? Or are you speaking and seeking with a therapist for, you know, like I'm a huge advocate about therapy as well. And just asking for help because oftentimes people don't want to ask for help. And then mm. that makes the cycle even worse. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting that you touch on that because what I've even come across, even a few times recently, it's the idea that somebody lives with diabetes for X amount of years, so they feel as if they should have it figured out by now. And if they feel as if, 
I've had it for 10 years. I've had it for 15 years. I've had it for 20 years. I should have all the answers. But if they don't, which nobody does, they're very reluctant to ask for help because it's almost like there's maybe embarrassment isn't the right word, but there's there's a, a sense of, well, I shouldn't need to ask for help, even because though it's been so long. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. No, I totally get that. And I see that too. But I think we fail to realize that we're constantly evolving as humans and we're constantly changing too. So diabetes is very progressive. And hmm. I think that that's something that I always highlight with, you know, my clients as well, that it's never going to be the same constantly. It's ever changing, right? Even from a, the aspect of the evolution of, of diabetes. Now we have continuous glucose monitors that are monitoring our blood sugars. And, you know, think about way back when we were just pricking our fingers, right? So just like the technology has evolved, it's great to highlight that, but also diabetes is very progressive. So we're not robots and it's not going to always be the same. So I think when people start approaching it from that aspect, and that perspective, then it changes the outlook and how you approach it overall. Again, hitting the nail on the head here, Madeline. Something I wanted to ask you, because I have come across this statistic before, and I can't remember exactly what it is, but it was something along the lines of people living with type 1 diabetes are something like 75% more likely to develop some form of eating disorder. Uh, no, I don't know if that's the exact exact statistic, statistic but that's yeah. yeah, that's what I'd seen. But from your experience working with people who obviously live with diabetes and people who don't, and working within the medical field and the nutritional field, is that something that is quite prevalent? Is that something that you have even seen firsthand? The difference between somebody's relationship with their food or their diet or their lifestyle who lives with diabetes compared to somebody who doesn't. So that is a great point that you bring up. And it is something that is seen and is very common within the diabetes community where they're more likely to develop those eating disorders because of that pressure regarding like food mm. and blood sugar. So it is, you know, I don't work with like here in the you know United States is a little bit different because there is a lot of subspecialties, but we do have registered dietitians and diabetes educators that specialize in eating disorders and are trained to be able to work with you know these 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 clients or patients, right? Because it is a very unique thing, and not everyone is trained to be able to help with these, you know, these, these patients. So it is something that I see that people, you know, I've seen in the past, like with, with patients that tell me, you know, I've, I have a history of an eating disorder, you know, and they've overcome it, but it is a common theme for people that have diabetes. And we see that where they start to not take their insulin as a form of that as well. It is a very deep, topic. Um, and I wish I had the knowledge to talk more about, but mm. um, there are healthcare professionals out there that that specialize and are helping people within that that aspect and area of, of diabetes. Mm. Yeah, it was a, st a statistic. I can barely say that. Sometimes. <laughs> statistic that I saw that was quite shocking to, I suppose, see written, but it also didn't come to me as a massive surprise because the way I look at it is like 
essentially everything I eat has the potential to impact my blood sugar in a quote unquote positive and negative way. And I suppose the way I look at it again, and I always only speak from my own experience and perspective, how could that not have some sort of impact knowing that if I walk to the kitchen right now and have a bowl of cereal, like there will be a pretty immediate impact on how I feel physically or, or emotionally as a result of what that does to my blood sugar. So it wasn't an overly surprising statistic, but I was just curious to know, even from your experience, had, uh, had you seen a lot of it, like as opposed to people who, who don't live with diabetes? Yeah. I mean, I think that eating disorders is very common overall. Mm. Like you, you'd be surprised. And I think people don't really notice it, that it can affect anyone, not just people with diabetes, but even people that are in larger bodies. Um, and, and that's something that like we see, I think more firsthand because we're working with people every day and talking to people about food um, more specifically in comparison to, you know, maybe another different type of practitioner. From your experience, Madeline, working with diabetes, working with diabetes, working with people who live with diabetes, and given how well-versed you are and, and how much of an expert you are in relation to type one, type two, gestational, everything you know, you're an expert, as we can quite clearly hear. Is there anything that you have learned from your patients or is there anything that you have gained from them that you weren't expecting to? I I do feel like I learned from my patients and clients on a day to day. Um, And I think that it has definitely changed my approach in, in regards to the way that I even practice where it's, you know, like I mentioned in the, in the beginning, it's more or less of, listening more to that patient and really listening to what their needs are and what the ultimate goal when they leave my office, rather than me trying to just go based off what the books say per se, you know, Mm -hmm. like I feel like sometimes, you know, as healthcare professionals, we're so quick to say the research, the research, but Mm. it's, it's also having that understanding that yes, the research is important, but you also need to understand and listen to that person because they really know their body best. So Mm. that has really helped develop more of a stronger relationship with, with my um, clients and patients, because I feel like they can trust me and they're more likely to disclose certain things to me that they might not necessarily are disclosing to their doctor. And then that could be that missing piece to the puzzle that can ultimately help figure out a better outcome for their overall health and management. Even just speaking to you today for the first time, I can already imagine how your clients and your patients feel dealing with you because I've had Madeline hundreds, if not thousands of conversations with diabetics from all around the world. And a common theme that seems to come up is that people often don't feel as if they're actually listened to. So when I listen to you speak about how intently you listen to your clients and your patients, it's it's really refreshing. So from their perspective and my perspective, we appreciate it. So it's uh, it's really good to hear. But how would you... If you were to describe how a client or a patient feels after working with you or how you want a client or patient to feel from working with you, 
How would you describe that, Madeline? When I am working with a client or patient, I usually use this analogy, like think about you walking around blindfolded. When you leave my office, I want you to be able to remove that blindfold and be able to successfully feel confident about your diabetes and feel empowered to be able to make decisions that are going to benefit you in the long run in your health. Because overall, like I know that when I'm working with someone, it's not going to be forever. I wish it was forever. It might be. I mean, there are times where people have said to me, I feel great. I feel like I have more of a sense of control and I don't need to continue working with you. Right. And that really says a lot about just their overall experience. Like if they feel like, all right, after a few months or maybe years of working together, now you feel equipped, then my job is done. How do you feel in that moment? Is it kind of like a a bittersweet exit or how do you feel? Let's say that I've had a lot of emotional moments (laughs) where I've even like, cried in front of patients and clients, which is Mm. like, it's because I feel like I'm truly making a difference, Mm. you know, or there's instances where I I meet with someone and then I'm just like, I can't believe that I just made this person's day better because now they feel okay to be able to eat something as simple as like potatoes. (laughs) So it's like, it it makes such a big difference, you know, and it's more or less like those little things, not so much like I am making such a huge difference, but that person is really appreciating that as well. Absolutely. And from a diabetics point of view, even something as small or as seemingly simple as confidently being able to eat potatoes like it's quite fitting for an irish person too it can change everything because something that is on paper quite simple but may feel as if it, it restricts us or makes us feel as if why do i have to deal with this thing or why do i have to live with this thing and having that confidence to kind of flip a switch into a different approach or even outlook in terms of how to manage your your lifestyle and your habits and your food, everything we've gone through today in that confident way is probably more impactful than you even realize. So we appreciate that work. Of course. And it might not happen that first time you eat, let's say the potatoes, (laughs) Of course, but it is going to, you know, that's why being open to that trial and error phase is important because you're learning through each experience. And, Mm. you know, it might take you 10 or 20 times before you actually get to really figure out how to eat for give yourself insulin, let's say, for this specific food, because there's many different ways of making potatoes. And depending on that, that's also going to impact the blood sugar, which people need to also understand. Hmm. So there's a lot of science that goes behind it, but also just how open are you to want to experiment in that aspect, which it's great that we have now access to those continuous glucose monitors for, for those people that are able to have access to them, that it makes such a big difference. The way I always look at it, and sometimes find it difficult when I'm going through a high or low moment, blood sugar-wise, is there's no such thing as a good or bad blood sugar. Because whether or not you stay in range, 
or whether or not you go up to 200 or 20, whatever way you read it, or you drop down to two, there's always still something that you can learn from it because you can look back and say, okay, how much insulin did I take? I dropped. Maybe I should take less the next time. Exactly. How much insulin did I take? I went really high. Maybe I need to take more the next time. And as you say, it's about being open because Mm -hmm. unless you are open to learning about your own experiences with food and exercise and stress and sleep and lack of, you're not giving yourself the ability to learn from all of these different, let's call them situations or circumstances that you say with, with the trial and error, because that's where you learn the most about your body and your diabetes. Exactly. And I love that. Like there is no such thing as a good or bad blood sugar, because either way you get to learn from that Mm. experience. And that's something that I always advocate all the time. So just be patient with yourself and know that you can manage your diabetes, but it is going to require a lot of unlearning. And I usually say that all the time because there's a lot of misinformation being thrown everywhere, which was one of the reasons why I decided to start my social media page Mm. because of that misinformation. And then I realized like, wow, this is actually helping so many people because I get DMs all the time from people telling me like, wow, like just following your tips and your posts, I've seen so many differences with my blood sugars alone. And that's just giving general information. It's not sitting down one, one-on-one and like guiding someone throughout the course of months and weeks per se. And that's why I was so excited about this conversation, Madeline, because I've been a fan of your, your social media for... Oh, thank you. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how long it is. I think I've been following you for ages. <laughs> but yeah, anyway... we have been following each other for, um, for a while now. Yeah, yeah. I do remember but, that. I always love your posts because they're they're super simple to understand, very, very, very clearly laid out, and they're just simple tips that you can just test straight away. And they're, te- mm-hmm. they're th- tips and strategies and decisions and actions that you can see on Instagram and then, boom, 10 minutes later, go to the kitchen and test it out to see if it works. Mm-hmm. And based off everything that you post, the vast majority of the time it works because it's exceptional information. So I was really looking forward to this conversation. So thank you for your time. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, I, I always listen to the podcast when I have time and, you know, like, like you said, I've been following you for a very long time as well. And it's just great to see people out there just supporting people with diabetes because it is important. It is important. And creating that safe space is just as important as being able to just spread information. Absolutely. Madeline, where can people find out more about you? Where can people connect with you more and ultimately find out more about how you work, what you do and how to apply? So my social media page is the start. So diabetes.rd. And can people reach out to you through there one-to-one? I'm working on that. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I'm working on okay. that. As of right now, it's um, it's curated more or less like because I, I am more or less, my passion stems a lot from helping people and serving the diabetes community and making it where people can use their insurance, their health insurance. Mm. That is, that's the route that I've decided to take. Mm. 
And then I haven't developed anything for my community on on social media because I do have people reaching out all the time. But that's in the works. But right now I've I've started more or less like in my local hometown, being accessible to to people in the in the in the local community. So that's the next step for you. That's that's in 2023. <laughs> but yeah, for anybody, so. for for anyone who, for whatever reason, is not following Madeline on social media, please make sure you do. I guarantee you, you'll benefit from it. Go on the Instagram right now. You'll absolutely love it as much as I do, and as much as I have enjoyed this conversation, Madeline. Really appreciate it, and delighted that we finally got to connect properly. Thanks so much. Yes, thank you so much for having me once again. Absolutely. Take care. You too. Another massive thank you to today's guest. And if you haven't already, be sure to check out their social channels and links that we've included in the episode description. If you enjoy the podcast, which I'm guessing you do because you listen, be sure to rate, subscribe and share. It really, really helps the podcast get heard by more people when you rate, when you subscribe and when you share. If you feel that you've been able to benefit from it so far, likely someone else would be too. If you have any questions or stories for myself and Graham, please do not hesitate to reach out. We absolutely love getting in the email stories and questions. You can do this through theinsalonepodcast at gmail.com. And if you would like to learn more from me, stay connected or even work with me and other people living with type 1 diabetes, who want to be fitter, healthier, and happier within my Type 1% Better online program, you can message me directly through Instagram or you can fill out an application form through the link in the podcast description. And as always, another massive thank you to you for your time and your ears. We greatly appreciate you showing up each week, time after time, ready to gain knowledge and confidence around your diabetes management. So until next week, have a good day, have a good week, look after those blood sugars, and I'll chat to you soon. Take it easy.